0: Good morning everybody, uh, it's good to be with you again even in this strange way that we've come to know and I just want to repeat that opening line uh, of the verses that Gemma's just read um, it says before daybreak the next morning Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray just before I, I share um one of the I think three experiences that I want to share with you this morning, just to say that I really appreciated um, uh, the testimony that we had this morning from Peggy. It, it was like uh, having an hors d'oeuvre before the main course. I, I was ticking off the, the things she was saying, on my uh, headings on my notes. When I uh, went to the first church that Kath and I worked in. Uh, in Staffordshire, Risingbrook Baptist Church. Uh, I was an associate pastor in the main church in Stafford, and Catherine was church planting up in a town called Stone, about six miles up the A34. And um, one of the things that I experienced was, uh, in my seventh year of being there, um, well, I was told I could have a sabbatical. And uh, this is meant to be a time a for a minister to, to go and get refreshment and uh, relaxing and things like that. So uh, previously I, I had met at a mainstream conference, a minister called Roy Searle, uh, who's become a great friend o- over the years. And we were talking, uh, and I really enjoyed his ministry, and I think because of my part Irish heritage, my mother was from Ireland, uh, I've always um, been one very close to... Uh, the Celtic traditions, uh, especially of course the Christian Celtic traditions. And Roy was saying that he was setting up a community, Northumbria community, uh, which many of you will know, uh, and we use their resources even, even today. And he's always said to me that he was setting up this community up, uh, at a place called Nether Things, and it was up near, Holy uh, Island, Lindisfarne, uh, up in Northumbria. And, um, so I decided, uh, for a week of my sabbatical I would go uh, and be with this community. And uh, so I, I travelled by train uh, on my own, of course, leaving behind uh, Catherine uh, as, as son had just uh, started uh, his uh, time at Coventry University. And as I travelled up to break on Tweed to be met there, um, it's when I began to um, panic uh, that i made a decision uh, that was going to make me very uncomfortable, and I was supposed to be enjoying the sabbatical, not putting myself through some strange experience. I arrived and was met by very friendly people. They picked me up in the car and um, drove me back to Nether Springs, a uh, big old house that was, they hadn't had very long, so it was the transition and lovely grounds. Uh, and in the grounds were these uh, various huts uh in shapes and sizes. Uh, they told me they were called Bustinius, which comes from a, a Russian uh, a word meaning uh, in the desert. And these were, they told me, uh, prayer cells, places I could go and sit in on my own and spend time with God. Uh, that was the first big challenge. Uh, the second one was then I was uh, taken upstairs uh, to, to be seen where I will be sleeping for the coming week, and uh, opened the door of this very large room. I was expecting it to be a small room, sparsely furnished, you know, t- 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 to be like community living, uh, assumed like the monks would have. And um, the door opened, and ahead of me were about, um, I think, about six or seven mattresses on the floor, and I was told which one was mine so that was the big challenge and uh, I had a week of amazing experiences when they were super people I had to, I learned the discipline of the Northampton community of using their services I had the joy of going with them to, to visit Christians on the Lindisfarne Holy Island uh, and, and so it was a, a, it was afterwards sorry, was a very good thing to have happened to me um strange enough i've never continued in that way in terms of i use their materials but i've not been a person and Catherine will certainly tell you this to to go on retreats uh i just somehow do not get into that kind of mode of, of, of being a christian Catherine enjoys it very much and usually goes when she can but uh, on her own not not with me um And so I came back to thinking about Jesus going out uh, into this uh, place, away from the busyness. You remember the previous verses that we looked at. um, He was having a really busy time. People were traveling to come and listen to him, but maybe they were coming because they heard this man healed and set people free in many ways. And so they wanted to see these these signs and, and, and to witness these things happening. And uh, we can see that Mark shows that the humanity of Jesus is not insignificant. It reveals him doing what any good disciple needed to do. And that was to go and have a time of rest, uh, recovery, and and praying to God, obviously, um, to receive and to hear. And for the reason to continue to serve. It was communion with God. And we don't know where that quiet place was, but it was isolated, we, we read there in, in Mark's Gospel. And so we probably all have to find where that place is, and maybe it's more than one place. I'm very fond of being near water. Um, on water, in terms of being in a ship or cruising on a river or just anywhere where there is water, stream or brook, and I find that is for me a place to sit and be quiet. Uh, very fortunate when we uh, were in Portsmouth, I, I was ministering at a Baptist church in his city church in Portsmouth. Catherine was, at that time, starting to do her regional role uh, in the southern counties, which was right along uh, the coastline, going from just outside Chichester, uh, as far as Dorchester and Weymouth, not to the M4 corridor. So she did a lot of travelling, um, going to to help and, and guide and to listen to churches and to ministers and leaders. And, and so uh, that was a place for me to really enjoy and use. With the, the, the church was in the city. The manse itself was only about five minutes' walk from the seafront uh, at South Sea uh, on, on the Solent, a very busy waterway. But well, it was just lovely. There were benches all along the, the front, those who know South Sea. And uh, I, early in the day, I could go up and I could sit on a bench, take a Bible or, or a book if I was reading. Uh, to prepare to preach and and that was to me quieter though there was noise around, traffic and people walking past, to me it, was, it, it wasn't isolated. but in my mind it was a quiet place and I, I could cope with that I, I'm a, a person perhaps who's never really coped with total silence uh, even as a youngster I remember um, doing schoolwork and, and revising I always had to have some noise on in the background, uh, which is probably not a good thing to copy, anybody listening who's doing study. Um, but then I also developed another place to go to at the beginning of the day before I started time of, of doing study or visiting people, pastoral work or, wh- or whatever it may be. Um, and somebody told me uh, about this wonderful coffee, coffee place, and um, Called the tenth Hall. It was based at the pitching Course on the front of Southsea. If anybody knows, it had been there. And so I used to go there uh, first thing in the morning, quite early, eight o'clock ish. Uh, pick up a paper on, on the way, uh, order a coffee and uh, a very healthy uh, bacon butter, and would we'll sit there uh, just gathering thoughts a day and having a, just a quiet within myself, uh, pray to God for the day to be with me, etc. And um, I, I started to do this regularly, probably there three, four mornings a week, maybe. And uh, there, there was a regular group of about eight local people who all were there every day uh, of the year, probably apart from Christmas Day when they closed. Uh, mm-hmm. And they would sit under the veranda, covered the veranda, during all weather, and they would be there with their coffees and their chats and their papers. And uh, after... A week or so, a couple of weeks, uh, one morning the, the owner of the cafe came to me and, uh, she said, um, she sat down, and she said, I hope you don't mind, she said, but, um, I see you come in regularly and sit there. She said, I, I just wondered, what do you do? And, uh, cause in those days I, I looked, you know, much younger and better looking everything and uh so i i thought oh gosh you know if i tell her what i what what i do that's gonna be the end of my little quiet sit in the corner of this cafe uh starting the day on my own so i thought it's no good i'm gonna have to explain to her that i'm a baptist minister uh she had no idea what baptist minister meant uh she said is that like a vicar Uh, i said well i suppose so yes anyway she said oh okay then she disappeared and I realised she'd gone outside to, to the uh, local people in the veranda, and obviously to tell them who I was. And then I heard this raucous laughter, which was a bit off-putting. I thought, oh, no, I'm going to have to find another place to go to in the morning. And uh, anyway, she then came back and she said, I expect you heard the laughter. I said, yes, I did. She said, well, she said they, that they were very amused when I told them. She said, because that, that they've been having discussions and a little bit as to who I was and what I did. So she said, I've been to tell them, explain to them who you are and what you do. She said, and there was much laughter because apparently the uh, majority opinion was that I was a traffic warden, which rather uh, shook me, made me think, gosh, did I look that miserable sitting in the corner with my coffee and paper? I'm telling you this because <laughs> over the the years that I was in Samsi, I had many a interaction with those people and, and the owner herself. They would come and ask my opinion about things. They would ask me to pray for things. I did a funeral service for the mother of the owner, etc. And so out of that, although it wasn't the quiet, they did used to leave me alone for the first part of the day before they would come and chat, usually asking my opinion on the latest news of the day. And you have to know that the, the papers they read were probably The Mirror and The Sun. And uh, I'll leave that there in that way. So that was, I found a way that I needed to just have that time to be with the Lord before st- going on and continuing the ministry that I believe He led me into. And it's interesting that when you look at these verses and uh, you see Jesus there, and in a sense, because Mark shows him in his humanity that he, and doing what any good disciple needed, it, um, it made you think about, about discipleship. And, and the concept of, of following. Um, uh, and I put that as following and not doing. Um, the doing has to come from the following, following in the footsteps of Jesus um, and following what God is leading us into. Um, what we might call our journey of faith, I suppose. Uh, there are always new truths to learn, new skills to develop, new experiences to go through a new closeness to God. This this goes on, even now as we are uh, no longer leading a particular church as pastors, um, they say you'd never retire as a minister, that probably is very true. Um, And as I think Peggy said about discipleship, it's not always through pleasant country, but ahead are the footsteps of Christ they are with you as you walk. And the Spirit resources us and fills us. And around us we have the community of his people. And we need to remember that, uh, especially in these strange times that we are in. And the I always think of, it, of Elijah on, on the mountaintop where he was convinced he was the only Christian, or the only, sorry, the only... Um, believing God left uh, until God showed him that there were a few more thousand down the bottom of the mountain. Uh, and so, it's interesting the way community is still there and how it is appears to us. For those of us who use Zoom and, and, and I know there are other media's means of communicating and I know many people who have to use Zoom for their workplace, um, they say, well, I'm Zoomed out and they find it difficult to to go on to the meetings that we have sometimes. So there are ways that we need to ensure that we remain as disciples and following and receiving, and so we can continue to, to serve in the way that God wants us to. And then we read that it says later Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you and i'm sure you've had times when you've perhaps with family or friends you try to find a a quiet place somewhere and and even at work or school whatever and somebody says oh there you are i found you and you don't necessarily leap up in the air that they have because it means you then got to go back into where you have you're working or where you are surfing and This quiet communion with God is important. It's a way in which we can ensure that we are following his leading. I wrote down uh, uh, some pointers here about discipleship and that it has to be faithfulness as well as relevance. And then when I wrote that, I thought, well, what I mean is it's faithfulness to the gospel as well as relevance. We do need these crucial, a crucial place or crucial places of prayer. I've never had one particular place, but I know many people do. To have that quiet time of prayer and fellowship, which is communion, which is a closeness with God before each new departure, particularly. Each departure in his service. We need always to seek God's blessing on those things that he has pointed out to us and asked us to go and serve him. It's not that we make our own individual choice and then ask God to bless it, but we need to bless what we know God is calling us to because it can be quite difficult. And then what what stood out to me from these verses was the next slide. So Jesus replied, we must go to other towns as well and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. And you realise that Jesus indeed, as scripture says, came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why he said, I have come to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Because it would only be later that people realised that he was, more than that, he was going to be their saviour, their messiah. He was going to show the grace of God into anyone's life when they give it to Jesus. It was to preach the good news. What seemed to be happening was people were demanding more and more signs and more and more healings and and deliverances, etc. As opposed to hearing the word. And so he says he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And I suppose I can, in in that, um, relate to when you're in ministry and when you're serving as a follower. Uh, we do need to be reassured and to know what new areas uh, that the journey of faith is taking us into. And then the second part of, of, of this uh, passage um, is <laughs> a feeling, having said all this about uh, the importance of the word being preached, the importance of people hearing the word and um, to come to faith. Um, for them to, to return to God, for us to come to know Jesus. And then it's in another place, and it says a man with lepsy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Then it really says, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, be healed. Now you'll know that there are notes that you may have read at the bottom of your particular version of the Bible that you have, that it doesn't say moved with compassion, that in some manuscripts it actually said filled with anger. And later uh, translators um, seem to struggle with that and, and they've they thought we, we need to put something that won't be misunderstood and so either filled with compassion, filled with love, etc. But well, actually it's just uh, a misunderstanding probably, uh, anybody just picking it up and reading it, to read filled with anger. Uh, because the whole concept was anger indeed with the evil that brings these things upon people and into the world. It's, uh, it's It was an anger at, at the evil that is around, that was around then and still around today, which spoils human nature in any shape or form. And it wasn't against the man asking to be healed. And the amazing thing then is that he says, moving compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him which would have horrified people around, shocked them terribly because the leper was considered to be unclean and not to be touched. I am willing, he said, be healed. And the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. I'd just like to share with you again another experience. And this was uh, a time that I went out uh, prepared, uh, to Nepal to, to visit. BMS missionaries working out there. People who are out there, uh, as working in medicine, uh, education, engineering, many ways. Because in Nepal, you were not allowed to openly preach the gospel. Um, obviously, you could answer people's questions or have a conversation if they approached you, but you were not allowed to uh, preach openly. Although the the country did not deny people. Uh, what religion they chose, but mainly they were a mixture of uh, Hindus and and Sikhs. Uh, It really was. But what you found was that when the people out there were working with the Nepalese, um, they invariably asked, well, why have you come? If they asked you why have you come, you could tell them because I believe God's led me here and and you can witness. And so the, the Church of Christ uh, in many forms, in Nepal, uh, the growth of Christianity in Nepal, when I was out there, uh, was growing at about 30% every year, which is quite amazing. And that is simply through people witnessing through their discipleship in serving in that way in that country. And uh, the, the lovely thing was that many of the Christian churches that, that were quietly forming um, were led by Nepalese people themselves, mainly, I have to say, men who had been in the Gurkhas. And, of course, they had some education, they had learnt English, therefore they could read all the, the commentaries, etc. And so that was wonderful. And one of the things, though, that I did experience um, visiting two or three of the missions, medical people out there was to go into the clinics that were working with People with leprosy, I never experienced that. I obviously read about it, and it was a word it was obviously not a nice uh, thing to hunt someone terrible illness. Then I saw the people with with their disabilities, um, limbs that, that were all deformed. I met a woman who hadn't been able to shut her eyelids for years, and um, they were being treated the best way that they could and, uh, and nursed and cared for uh, without cost because they were mainly the poor people. And and often they'd been hidden away by their families, uh, seen uh, as uh, almost like a disgrace, I suppose. And so one of the things the things we wanted to do was to encourage the families to bring the people to them who started to show signs of leprosy because they could heal them. They had medicines that, 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 could, that could curtail it in its early stages. So I saw leprosy, and I saw the effects, and I realised that when you read about people with leprosy coming to Jesus, you can understand that they wanted to be rid of this terrible, terrible disease. Then Jesus says something interesting to the guy. He says, go to the priest. Fulfill the law to be declared clean. Uh, you see it's in Matthew five, seventeen twenty. and 20. And the idea was to go. The priest would uh, testify that you were now clean of your leprosy. Uh, he would declare the appropriate offering to be made. And uh, in this way, this would be the public testimony. Jesus says that you have been cleansed. And then it says... Um, he gave him a stern warning. <laughs> Quite something from Jesus, isn't it? A stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this instead. Joke to the priest. And this was so that Jesus could continue the ministry that had been anointed to by God to go and preach good news to God's people. However, as you know, when something good happens to you, uh, the chances are you want to go and tell someone. I've just noticed in the, in the recent uh, honours that have come out, and there's been some, uh, on the whole, some really good people honoured for some of the things they've done, during, particularly during this difficult time. And, uh, you know, they're told not to tell anyone uh, before the public announcement uh, on behalf of the Queen. Uh, and it must be awful not not to be... <laughs> Told that you can go and tell someone the good news, and this man can't resist. And he, he, he goes he, he goes out and he and he this man went and he spread the word. He told everybody he, he was very excited, and he prayed, proclaimed to everyone what, what had happened. And this is as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. It could tell his ministry in some of those places. There was a reason why Jesus said to him, don't go and tell everyone, go and get it verified and testified by the local priest. So he could move on and preach. And of course he, he would, after he preached, he would reach out to some of those people who were really struggling. But we know that we're in those kingdom times where it's a partial kingdom. And so some get healed, some get free. But everybody can be set free in the gospel. Everybody can be set free in their lives. And that's, that's the wonder of God's love. And so I think I'm going to go quickly now because I just want to share the last experience about this. And Catherine's given me permission. We'd only been married a short time, and she became quite ill. She was a teacher in Birmingham, taught physics in, in, in a girls' high school, and uh, they went through a very bad uh, bout of um, gastroenteritis. And for a while, Catherine didn't seem to quite recover. Always, it was always around her in some way, and at times was, was not well. And uh, had some tests done, and, and, and they couldn't find anything. And they said, oh, it's just the stress of being a teacher. <laughs> and then, and then we moved after a couple of years from Birmingham down into High Wycombe and we signed on with a new doctor and she had more tests done at Amersham Hospital. They still couldn't find anything. Anyway, the doctor was quite positive and he sat down and he got all the notes from the consultants and he went through them. Um, and he came get, and he, he said, I want you to try some things. I want you to start cutting out some things. He said, because he said, I think it's something to do. Not with stress, but it's to do with something you're eating or whatever. And to cut uh, the story short, what he found going through was that an enzyme had disappeared out of her body. This is as an, an adult. Um, that he found that it was the enzyme that converts the lactose to lactate. Therefore, she was uh, developed lactose intolerance. And so, well, we had to make a lot of adjustments over many years because of that. But there was the year when we were at a Kingdom Faith camp in Peterborough and we were some friends and Catherine said to us one day, as a group, we had a caravan there, she said, I do believe that God said to me this week, I will heal you. And that was um, quite a challenge. Um, So we all agreed. We just sensed it. it was not something she was just Finger reaching out for, she really firmly believed that God said He'd heal her. Well, during that week, um, Catherine tried uh, with her meals the things that she really wasn't supposed to have, and each day wasn't good. And then suddenly on, on on the Friday, she had a day where she was well, and a Saturday was well, and a sign that followed, and and she was she was healed. But she said. God has said, I am I, not to say anything until he chose me. And it was six months um, before that time came. It was after school holiday. We went to school holiday. So when she went back in September teaching in Beckinsville, um, she suddenly realized that the the teachers and staff around kept saying to her, Oh, Catherine, you're not wearing your glasses. Uh, you've got contact lenses. And Kathleen and I realised that she hadn't been needing her glasses, and they said, "Oh, well, why?" And she said, "Well, the only thing I can think of," she said, "is that um, she said I have been healed of my intolerance, latter intolerance, and she felt it was, the goal was now saying this is the time to witness to people. And of course, with things like that, it, it's um, it's internal, so people wouldn't necessarily see it unless they knew you well." But realized she wasn't wearing glasses, and then she realized she hadn't been wearing glasses for quite a while. And, and so through that, she was able to share what had happened. And uh, it had quite an effect on people. So when God says, not yet, it's for a good reason. And sometimes we need to hold back and have patience when he says to us, not yet. Paul had to learn that, didn't he? And he wanted to travel on, not yet, not yet. I need to finish. And so I'm to leave you with these two words. (laughs) Well, more than that, probably. God does love you. You know he loves you. I'm telling you he loves you. So please hold on to that fact as we go through who knows what. Another wave. I don't know. But faithfulness and relevance. Faithfulness to the gospel. So that we can be relevant to those around us. At this time, people have needs. These they don't realise. And maybe we are here in some way. Even in this non-contactable way, there are ways in which he's reaching out to people.
1: The fact that we are seeing
0: more and more joining to Zoom meetings and YouTube meetings, into services, is quite phenomenal. What what's happened. Catherine hears about this through the organisation that she's part of. Uh, the Christian Inquiry Agency. So, have hope, have faith, be relevant, and have a good week. Amen.